And the market is there for you to completely study. You can get on your phone on Google and in a half an hour, you can get a feel for whether or not you can carve out a piece of the pie or not because the customers are there, the businesses are there. It's all there for you to look at and analyze. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy. Welcome back to the TMBA pod. Today's episode, special one for me, the kind of app that I want to listen to. That's because it's a little philosophical, it even includes a philosophical corner. With today's guest, we are going to talk about business models he hates, business models he loves. We're going to debate them. We're also going to critique a lot of the current advice that's out there in uh, internet business or startup land. I hope you find this thought-provoking. It actually came up as an off-tape chat I had with a recent guest. Nick Huber from Storage Squad has done some incredible things. He started a, sort of an old-school business, something similar to what Ian and I did. We took our tech knowledge, our knowledge of the internet, of stuff that's going on in internet marketing, and we went to less competitive niches. We didn't compete with all the other smart people out there. We just addressed demand using solid internet marketing techniques. And that's what today's guest suggests that you know, we all do. If we're looking, if we're frustrated with our business models, if we're having trouble getting traction. So a few weeks ago, we had Nick on the show to share Storage Squad's story, which is over a $3 million business. Remarkable success. He's since moved on to doing some real estate investing. It can be hard to talk about the things that you've done, but it can even be harder to talk about what you think about the things that you've done. And Nick's done a really excellent job of this, of outlining his philosophy over at his website, sweatystartup.com, the sorts of business models that he's attracted to and he thinks are good opportunities for entrepreneurs looking to get traction and those business models, which he's not so excited about. And it's pretty much the exact opposite you read about on so many podcasts like this. And that's why I'm excited about today's episode. Would love to hear your thoughts. We're going to post everything over at tropicalmba.com slash businesses I hate. But what I especially love and what I hope you can find inspiring about this is some of the most unsexy, uncool ideas are also the most profitable. And they're right in front of us every day day. So let's get started talking about you know how to get rich without getting lucky, how to start your hustle and start making money tomorrow, amongst a bunch of other things in today's episode. I'll be back at the end to talk about this week's Dynamite Deal. With entrepreneurship, there's a thousand ways to do it. That's the fun about all this. Every decision that you make, no two people have become wealthy, have become successful entrepreneurs the same way. But there are some underlying principles that can be applied to the decisions that you make when you're picking out what business you're going to go after, you know, what market you're going to enter, how you're going to go about your own journey. I was all about tech. I was in college with a bunch of techies. All the entrepreneurs that I knew were doing tech startups. And then I bought a house and I got into real estate and I realized that, oh my gosh, there's a huge hole in our everyday labor-intensive services. When you are doing any kind of actual physical work 
as a business, I think 95% of the people who are really brilliant entrepreneurs look at it and say, oh, not that one. I'm moving on to the next one. Because you got to sweat. <laughs> you you got to work. <laughs> you can't just start out and hire five people on your team to go do the skilled service, right? Even if it's as simple as power washing or cleaning, you know, the baseline businesses, I think a real tech entrepreneur who wants to live anywhere, who maybe follows the TMBA all the time, they look at businesses like that and instantly they're like, nope, not interested. And why is that a problem for you? It's a problem, Dan, because all the wealthiest people that I know, I mean, I know you're different. You, you see people who have succeeded remotely and doing things the tech way. You yourself invented a product you and your partner, the people that I know, the wealthiest people that I know in this town, every town I've ever lived in, all the wealthiest people there, none of them had new ideas. None of them had tech startups. None of them had businesses that could be operated completely remotely. They all started really, really small and they started really, really local. And they were doing the same exact thing as many, many other people. The guy who owns the construction company, the guy who owns the plumbing company. I mean, there's a guy that I know in town here that does $1,000 a night deep cleaning restaurants. Yeah. Goes in there, sweats for five hours at night and walks away with a thousand bucks after all his expenses are done. There's a podcast we did a few months ago called Five Ways to Get Rich. And it's the first time we brought up this idea of of Naval. I'm going to fly in from the podcast editing booth to once again, probably don't need to point this out anymore. Have you all checked out Naval? The Naval we're talking about is of course, angel investor, and an online savant or sage, Naval Ravikant. Now, back to the interview. And I have to admit, although I hang around with a lot of people who are doing things that are traditionally considered tech, my experience has been the same, that the vast majority of wealthy people that I know have gotten wealthy by doing relatively boring businesses for a long time. And I call that the old man river persona. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily old, not necessarily male, but Someone who just keeps cracking away, you get to the point where you replace your income, now you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, and that keeps going for five years, and then on year number seven, you expand to the next city over, and and all of a sudden, Old Man River's making a million bucks a year for 10 years straight. Or massive. The three wealthiest people that I know, one of them was selling t-shirts out of the trunk of his car, grew that business to where he was doing the deal with the NBA to write caricatures on the front of the t-shirt and if the winners won they they wore those shirts sold that business to Haynes got in on Planet Fitness at their IPO he made 180 million bucks next guy was you know a started a pizza restaurant with his friend outside of Ohio outside of a city in Ohio grew that to about 20 it was before Papa John's and Domino's went to the small rural areas so he opened up 20 or 30 of these sold it for big bucks another guy was building houses in a small local town you know, he built his own house, sold it. Then his neighbor said, hey, can you build me a house? Fast forward 20 years, he's building $30 million nursing homes and leasing them to operators and building massive, massive, massive amounts of wealth. All because he started by doing something really small and something that people wouldn't even think as entrepreneurship, really. Now, what would you say if, if someone said, like, look, like the opportunities that existed for these people 15 years ago or 20 years ago, whenever they got started, the landscape's much different now. And the way that we're going to get wealthy is probably going to look a lot different from the way that they got wealthy. Yeah. And there's no easy way to get wealthy. We all know that. But I bought a house and I couldn't find anybody to come clean my carpet. Couldn't find anybody to come mow my grass. Trying to build out my basement. Couldn't find a plumber. Couldn't find a drywall guy. I have to build a bar. I want to have a nice bar in my new basement that I'm finishing. 
can't find anybody at all anywhere that can build me a bar. I wanted to have a steam shower put in. The only company in the whole state of Georgia that does steam shower installs is in Atlanta. They wanted $500 non-refundable deposit to even come out to my house to look at my shower. I mean, yeah, it takes a little bit of investment, a little bit of time, a little bit of energy, but these businesses are operating right now and they're operating like it's 1995 or 1985. They don't send quotes by digitally. They take cash. They take check. They're sending out faxes. (laughs) They have a full-time secretary in their office that's pushing paper around, not utilizing being paperless and being able to do things from anywhere. That's just what I'm seeing. So basically, I mean, you're not a Luddite, right? Like you understand the internet, you know your way around a search algorithm and stuff. What was it that made you realize the wisdom of the story that you're trying to tell right now? Why did you believe it or did you have to live it in order to believe it? I lived it for sure. I mean, I literally started a business that nobody else would touch with a 10-foot pole because of the logistical challenges and the amount of physical work that I had to do. So, I mean, as far as what I believe in, it's, it's my story. I told it on the previous episode. To now, there's a good chance in 12 or 18 months, we're going to have $10 million worth of self-storage under management and be on our way to doing some really, really big, awesome things, the things that we dream about. What does the $10 million figure mean? So if you value all the storage property that we're going to own and be managing, it'll be worth about $10 million. Does that mean my net worth is $10 million? No. A lot of it's bank financing, partner financing, and so on. But we're well on our way to you know, build something pretty big. And I started by lugging a box up a spiral staircase, sweating. And my friends laughed at me and made fun of me when I <laughs> bought a $1,500 van on Craigslist. And they sat behind their computers with their next tech startup. And now they're working in New York City for the man commuting each way. And there's nothing against that route, but I just watched it happen over and over again. And the most brilliant people that I know couldn't quite hack it because it's just so competitive and everybody wanted or wants to do it. I think there's a sort of a a laptop digital nomad dream and the way to get started up. It's like, you know, put up a website, question mark, question mark, question mark, profit. Let's try to figure out what those question marks are for the digital nomad dream. There's something like baseline your expenses to zero you know, do some SEO research with a tool like Ahrefs, find an underserved niche that has a little bit of action, but not too much, and then build something that's better than what exists there and do it in a way that you don't have to have employees and that everything is going through the cloud. And And I think that's more or less the digital nomad dream. Like I'm going to create a site that reviews, you know, stand up desks and I'm going to... Kevin Graham. He pulled it off. Yeah. He built it. Who's Kevin Graham? Kevin Graham is my favorite episode that you guys have done. It's episode 375, and it's about making generational wealth through basically affiliate, Amazon affiliate sites. I listened to that episode, and it was right when I was first getting really excited about SEO and content marketing, because as I started diving into this stuff and listening to you guys and listening to other people, it's kind of eye-opening how good you can get at getting ranked and getting organic traffic. I listened to Kevin Graham, episode 375, and it blew my mind at the strategy and the effort and the content and how good and how serious he was at chasing Amazon clicks for, you know, commission. And there's nothing at all wrong with that. But I just, I transferred that to say, okay, let's say you have a big high margin business in Boston or New York City. Kevin Graham could get to the top of the rankings in weeks where clicks are worth 20 grand, right? If he gets the right partners and the right people around him and they're providing the right kind of services to either businesses or residential people. So I was like, wow, this type of mindset, the mindset that the tropical MBAers have, 
if you transfer a little bit of that to some of these smaller, local, sweaty businesses, you'll start to dominate. And everybody's like, oh, I don't want to go out and clean houses or I don't want to power wash or I don't want to wash windows. And like six months after launching the business, you're not going to be doing what the actual service is anyway. You can't. You got to be on your computer doing what you do best. What is the question mark, question mark, question mark of one of these so-called sweaty startups? Which I think, is it fair to call it something like a, a bricks and clicks model where you're combining online marketing and automation with the physical real world? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, people think that these low margin businesses, you're competing against Craigslisters and really low you know, margin people. So you can't make any money doing it. Whereas if you set up the digital presence and if you're number one on Google and if you have a really, really good website and if you're going to provide a really good service, you can charge two and three and four times what these Craigslisters and fly by nights are charging and you can still convert. What are the conversions for Kevin's clicks on his on his Amazon affiliate, right? If you convert one out of 100 clients, but you're number one on Google in Boston, you can make great money, phenomenal money. So the question marks are that everybody thinks it's low margin, it's no barriers to entry, really, really hard to scale. And you look at my business, when Danny and I started our business, it was a $15 million market nationwide. That's it. That's all, total. And you had to have trucks, you had to have boxes, you had to have laborers. Nobody would ever look at that and say, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to scale a big business. Why did you see it as an opportunity? Because we were thinking small and we were thinking like, how can we not go get jobs? <laughs> what would you do if, say I'm graduating from school and, and I'm saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I have a little bit of savings. I get this idea for this app that helps people like select healthy food when they're going to go to the gym or whatever. And I'm going to go spend six months and build that. If you could have an intervention with meal prep app person, what would you say to them? That's a really tough question. I don't like to shoot anybody's dreams down and tell them that they shouldn't try something because I think trying something like that's better than nothing. hundred percent. Like just, just try and get out and, and foray into entrepreneurship. But the problem is I think that person's going to leave with their tails between their legs and never want to give another shot to entrepreneurship ever again. That's what I fear. A brilliant, otherwise brilliant person. They could have excellent management skills, excellent communication, excellent at putting in systems in place to make a business efficient. And that could all go to waste because they tried something that was a new idea where they had to train a market. They had to spend a massive amounts of money. They're competing against venture capital. And the odds of success are, are one in who knows how many, you know? So. so you're essentially suggesting that by going after like these established small businesses, there's a lot less risk. That's your suggestion. Exactly right. Dan, the market is there for you to completely study. You can get on your phone on Google and in a half an hour, you can get a feel for whether or not you can carve out a piece of the pie or not because the customers are there. The businesses are there. It's all there for you to look at and analyze. You can go to their store. You can call their customer service reps. You can poke around their warehouse. You can schedule an appointment. You can get an inside look at their business. So when Danny and I were about to start Storage Squad, we got an inside look at every business that did exactly what we wanted to do. We called them. And we said, hey, I'm a customer at this apartment. How does it all work? How does your system work? And we listened to them and they're like, oh, why are they doing that? Oh, why are they doing that? Oh, showing up with a clipboard. Oh, like <laughs> they're doing it like it's 1985, right? And a lot of times there's absolutely no investment. So the risk, in my opinion, is pretty minimal. For you, what would be like minimum viable differentiation? Because 
you know, I can just walk down Main Street and I can see this stuff. I can see the industrial cleaners or, or better yet, maybe the street behind Main Street, you know? What in your mind like sparks your interest? Like, mm, I could get involved here and, and it could be interesting. Yeah, the lead time, I would say. I'd say so many service businesses, it takes them two or three weeks to actually provide the service. So if you look at supply and demand, they should be raising their prices steadily until they're booked back on where they can provide next day service. So if you can provide next day service, you can charge two and three times what these other service companies are charging for doing the exact same thing because somebody needs it tomorrow and it's worth it for them to pay a little more just for somebody to come steam clean their carpet tomorrow. I always look at lead time as the main differentiator, but I mean, there's so many, there's so many. And, and the thing about it is it's not a zero sum game, like more and more and more people are outsourcing every little time suck in their life. Like they're making more money, they're working long hours, they like their kids, they're trying to take back some of their time. So they don't want to mow their lawn, they don't want to clean. I think I read a stat that 20 years ago, 5% of people paid to get their lawn mowed. And now it's 40% of people pay to get their lawn mowed. So the pie is growing every single day. The pie is growing on all of this stuff. More and more people are not technical savvy. Like I remember in, in college, I called my dad every time anything went wrong with my apartment or my battery went dead on my car because I'm just, you know, I can't work with my hands that well. That's with everybody, right? You call your, your grandfather. He knew how to put shingles on his house. He knew how to fix his deck. He didn't ever outsource anything. Yeah. And look at today's college graduates. Like the number one AAA call in America is a dead battery when people have jumper cables under their seat. They just don't know how to jump a car. Who are people going to call to help them with these little tasks that old school people would have done themselves? They're going to call companies and they're going to pay a premium because no one wants to do this labor. Tell me tell you about a business idea and let's see if it passes the sweaty startup test because I, I just want to give the audience a sense for like, before I started entrepreneurship, Nick, like the most intimidating thing to me was having a business idea. And I think it's why if you look at our back catalog, there's this obsession with like how to develop ideas and even like frameworks for developing ideas because it was just so intimidating to me. I would look at people like you and Ian and having all these ideas all the time and I'd just be like, when I think of an idea, I just blank. But when I think about like this local services business, I, I get turned off by stuff that I've seen that has existed for a hundred years. But I think there's a way we can take it to the next level. Like I think about your bar, for example, and traditionally you'd have like a woodworker or furniture person, or you go to a bar company or you'd have a contractor come over. I feel like there's room for people to bundle services and products, much like on the internet. You could imagine a business where it's like buildmymancave.com and it's based in a geographic area to start. And you have a network of suppliers of basically cool shit plus contracting. These could easily be $50,000 products if people want to put a theater in. And the margin on like pulling all of that together could be enormous. Is this a sweaty startup? Yeah, that's what you're describing as a general contractor. And general contractors make phenomenal money. Because these little mom and pops who are really good, say there's a guy who's really good at tiling a shower. There's another guy who's really good at building a home bar. There's another guy who's really good at putting in you know, a home theater. These general contractors are managing all these people who don't know how to have websites. They don't know how to do, get, find their own customers. He's coming in and saying, I will envision your product and I will literally solve all your problems. And he's marking this stuff up 100%. And by doing zero work, none of his own work, he's you know, making four or $500,000 a year just as a one-man guy who walks in and, and turns dreams into realities around people's houses. It's funny you mentioned general contractor. 
because so many of the wealthy people that I know, they are general contractors. I mean, the whole world is more or less built by these folks. And, you know, the internet age gives us the opportunity to not only like to market these things in more interesting ways, but to manage them in more interesting ways and also to niche them down. Your buildmymancave.com and, and people actually click on your website and send you cash before you even call them. It's the long tail. Yeah, it's the long tail that the internet brings to what people are paying for in their house. It's a beautiful thing. Here's the bottom line. If you rank higher in Google search engine results, your company is going to make more money. Why not get experts involved who've got proven strategies? Check out smashdigital.com. That's right. Longtime listeners of the show will be familiar with leading SEO specialist Travis Jamison's suite of companies previously called Supremacy SEO and Sassicorn. Well, now they've rebranded as SmashDigital.com. Same incredible SEO insights and results. Yes, Ian and myself have used these services. And what SmashDigital.com offers is simple, fully managed SEO services, link building, and SEO audits. In fact, they're giving away free audits to TMBA listeners. Check out SmashDigital.com slash TMBA. You'll get a free audit from a real human being. These mini audits are done by the management team over at Smash Digital, and they're personalized for your company. No automated software, just great advice from the SEO professionals at SmashDigital.com. This is an SEO firm that isn't obsessed with regurgitating Google's best practices. These guys practice what they preach. So get a fresh view on the potential that your business has to reach new sustainable sources of customers from organic SEO traffic by reaching out to the team over at smashdigital.com. And why not take them up on that free SEO audit? Smashdigital.com slash TMBA. Check it out. I feel like I get the concept. Let's talk about some businesses you love and some businesses you hate before we go into uh, comparing them to uh, what some tech luminaries might say. So where do you think we should start with? With the positive or the negative? I might as well get people to hate me right away and talk about the businesses I hate, Paige. I don't like businesses that are passion projects. Okay. I don't like businesses that are... I'll tell you just kind of an overview of what I don't like. Because I think a passion project, if somebody's getting after a passion project, you're not the only one that's passionate about it. There's going to be very high participation, very low chances of success because of that competition. It's like trying to go to Harvard or whatever. Trying to make it to the NBA. Yeah, try to make it to the NBA, right? You're more likely to get struck by lightning if you're a high school basketball player than, than go to the NBA just because the participation is so high. So many people are passionate about the internet or you know electric cars or something like that to cut through that is super, super hard. Another thing about these businesses that I don't that I hate are they're dominated by venture capital backed big time companies. The blockchain, the Amazons, the things like that where like A B testing and marketing services and big data. Yeah. It's like a fantasy football guy who wants to do these daily fantasy leagues trying to compete with the algorithms that the MIT kids are are building to win fantasy football. So I got, you know, blockchain, online influencing is it's harder than ever to become an online influencer. You know, web design. Apparel selling, Amazon selling, drop shipping. Now, why web design? I mean, web design feels like there's so many opportunities out there. Everybody needs a website. How can you bag on web design? You know, most of these businesses, if you can sell 
I think they quickly flip over to my businesses I love. Like videography is a super competitive business because so many people are passionate about videography. A lot of people are passionate about web design. A lot of people are passionate about social media marketing. The people that dominate those can sell. They're getting out from the, behind their computer. They're walking into meetings. They're shaking hands. They're cold calling. They're being compelling. They can communicate. I mean, go back to the general contractor, right? The reason why the general contractor gets his 100% markup is because he, he gets your trust. He's getting in front of you. He can talk to you. So if you do any of these things, and you want to sit behind your computer and just hope that people like your Instagram page and come to you and, and hope your digital marketing, you know, sticks, then I just, it's a business I hate. But if you're a salesman and you're willing to get out and sell this stuff, I think you can very quickly rise to the top and become a business that thrives. It sounds like what you're saying is uh, you ought to be passionate about entrepreneurship. And this is a more sustainable strategy than doing something you're passionate about. Exactly right. What's worth being passionate about in entrepreneurship then? I think it's building something. It's the feeling of watching something grow. It's the feeling of hiring a new employee that's really excited to join the team and get on board. It's the war stories when you're coming back from the warehouse and, and talking about this customer and like in my business, you know, talking about this crazy customer and that crazy thing that happened today. It's just that feeling of doing something that, that matters and taking steps forward every single day. That's what gets me up. Let's see. Among the list of people that you're putting on the blacklist, apparel, salespeople, lead generation, app development, lead gen. Why don't you like lead gen? I don't think there's a customer problem. So I think every business has either an employee problem or a customer problem. One of those two, like your, your employees can't deliver what you're offering or you can't get enough customers. In the services, everybody wants to help the plumber get more customers. The plumber doesn't need more customers. The plumber has three month waiting list for his clients. So every day on the Sweaty Startup, people reach out to me and say, Nick, 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 I got this great idea to help plumbers with SEO. Like, you keep talking about how bad these plumbers are at business. I'm going to help them. I'm going to get them clicks. Plumbers don't need clicks. <laughs> we need more plumbers. <laughs> so you're basically suggesting that lead generation is, is a bad business by design because if they properly valued the leads, they would have sort of found them themselves. Exactly right. Exactly right. I think you can succeed. I'm not trying to t totally say that these are bad things. I, I'm just, when a new entrepreneur comes to me and says, this is my idea, that's when I say, oh, I'm not so sure. Okay. But if somebody says, this is my skill set, I'm really good at this. I know Legion. I know apparel sales. I know Amazon FBA. I would never tell them to not do that. You don't like any retail shop that exists in real life. No uh, real estate. Let's talk about real estate. That's interesting. You mentioned house flipping and uh, rentals. Yeah. So. I'm seeing now a super competitive real estate market in the United States. Everybody with 20 grand in their bank account wants to buy a rental property because they think that that's what they have to do. So what you have is if a property is on Zillow, you have a thousand people looking at that as an investment. They're all running their numbers a different way. Somebody is going to make an emotional decision. Somebody's going to make a bad purchase. Somebody's going to be a speculator hoping for appreciation and buying it when it doesn't cash flow at all. Like I ran the numbers on my Boston house and I'm like, who would ever buy this as an actual real investment? People are bu and buying them because they want them to be worth what they are in 2022, what they are now compared to 2012. Right. It's too legible of an investment. Therefore, not a good one. Anybody can get in that. And I think people are making a lot of emotional bad decisions. But if you have a competitive advantage in real estate, if you can find off market deals, if you can you know, have an Airbnb data set that you know you can get different returns than everybody else. Obviously, then it's a, an amazing thing. I think real estate should be the end goal of all entrepreneurs, but you got to have a niche. You got to because it's so competitive. Bars and restaurants, coffee shops, Nixum. 
emotional. I think people are not valuing their time. People are getting in there. They love cooking. Somebody told them that they should be a chef. So they're going to keep doing that even if they're making negative money. Obviously, I'm, I'm generalizing, but I just think I see a lot of people making really emotional decisions. I don't see anybody going into waste management or lawn care because it's an emotional, something they love doing, right? Personal businesses, you don't like health coaching, diet coaching, personal training, CrossFit studios, or yoga studios. What about this health coaching stuff? I see a lot of that going on. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just think it's something that everybody thinks that they're an expert in and you know, Google, I think, released an algorithm change a year ago that what half the health blogs just got totally wiped off the face because they were making outlandish claims that were putting people at risk. My wife's a dietitian and she kind of just shakes her heads at all, at all the people who don't have any kind of actual knowledge and they call themselves health and diet coaches. Forget the blue ocean strategy. Find a way to provide a common service uncommonly well and you win. The customers are there. The competition is weak. The risk is minimal. That's the businesses I love right there. It's Mike Trout. Let's talk about them. Yeah. So, so if you have a new idea, you're training a market, you're hoping that customers can find you. you. The need isn't there yet, right? But all this stuff on the businesses that I love, again, you look out your window and there's businesses out there right now for you to study, for you to analyze. None of them are passion projects. Nobody's doing this stuff because they love it. People are doing it because it makes dollar and cents. You know, it makes sense. Too many people are, are ignoring them because they're not sexy. They're not fun. They're not ever going to get venture capital they're not ever going to be scalable to every city in the country and you know wear your silicon valley go, go to silicon valley and wear your sweatpants and, and logo shirt and walk around none of these businesses will ever offer that before we get into the list of businesses i would like to insert a segment i'm going to call dan's philosophic waxing because this actually reminds me of a theme it's been emerging the last 10 years of my life and the last year, it's become something of an obsession. I haven't been able to pull it all together in this cohesive thought, but I'll take a stab at it right now. And I mentioned it many times on the show, but it's, it's the idea of we live in a, a media culture. And before that, we lived in a culture that communicates at scale. And they do that through things like newspapers and books and reports and at a higher level through government papers and through university research. And the difference between all that and reality is fascinating. And it's enormous. And in the business world, it's like what people want to talk about, what people want to gather data about, what people think is fun to share, and what is profitable to share is so different from what you can do as an entrepreneur and how you can make money. And the reason is because we both saw a multi-million dollar industry that no one with a newspaper or a book or a university would ever give a crap about. And they still don't. And you got to find it for yourself. You got to look out your front window. And for us, it was looking at a valet podium with an umbrella sticking out of it outside of a fancy restaurant, wondering how many of those in the world there are, and wondering why some dude is building them in his garage in Southern California and like why people haven't decided a better way to make these things. That's it. That's it. There's no newspaper. There's no entrepreneurship class. You know what I mean? It's, it's right there. The world is, is so much more full of more valuable information than the people who are creating an industry out of the information. 
you said it beautifully. And I think if there's one critique I have of the Tropical NBA podcast, it's that we want to hear more about what you all are doing. The people who just started <laughs> listening in the past year have no idea your past, what you built, your business. I mean, maybe you mention it in passing once every five episodes, but you guys have done some awesome stuff. Let's talk about the businesses you love. And it's interesting. Wow. You love private investigating. This is interesting. <laughs> Home cinema installation, lightning rod installation, septic service, boat cleaning, pet grooming, gate and keypad entry installation, epoxy flooring. I love it. Yeah. How hard do you think it is to rank in Atlanta, Georgia for any of those things you just said? Anybody listening to your show right now could rank for any of those businesses in, in two weeks. Yeah. In two weeks, they could rank for them because there's only one or two companies in the whole state that do it. Fire damage remediation, water damage remediation, mold removal. Can you imagine like if you just had a company that basically just like fixed homes, but you just went after all the hot button issues that came up on the news? It's like, boom, I rank number one for like lead removal, asbestos removal. I mean, people are going to pay whatever. It's like going to the hospital. It's like, take my money. Bed bugs is a huge one, Dan. You can come <laughs> get rid of bed bugs in a moment's notice, you can charge $1,000 for an hour of work with 20 bucks worth of chemicals. RV cleaning, RV pickup and delivery. These are interesting too, because all of a sudden you're dealing with wealthy clients. That's what I love about the service businesses. Everybody thinks they got to go get every client. But if you pick your customer and you pick your customer that's going to pay more for better service, you can actually turn these into some high margin businesses. You got a bunch of vehicle services on here. My cousin actually owns a couple of locations of a very profitable, he just does like dent repairs. He started doing it. I don't know if I should tell a story on the thing, but he does this. He has a sweaty startup and he has multiple locations now and it, he ended up getting dealership clients and the dealerships were willing to pay high margins for him to like turn over basically dent repairs because they wanted to put mint cars on their lot. So you think, oh, I'm going to get into this boring service business. I'm going to repair people's cars a little bit. And it turns out like, oh, CarMax needs their cars repaired. <laughs> and now you're like, you're pumping through cars all day long. I was doing a call with a guy who is a window washer in a really small town in Indiana. And he's like, I walked into the car dealership and they have windows everywhere. I shook hands with the guy. He just happened to be the manager, gave him my car, took his card. And I got a $1,500 a month contract to clean all the windows all around the whole place. And he did the math. And he's gonna, like, when he gets fast, when he gets a little bit faster, he'll be making 75 bucks an hour to wash windows with hardly any supplies and no skill at all. Porta potty rental, tents, videography, photography, event management, event DJ. You're into the DJ thing. This is a brainstorm of literally, I'm trying to keep a running list of every service business out there that I think is a little bit underserved. I think there's what, 200 businesses on this list we're looking at right now. It's endless. Entertainment, uh, biking tours. That's an interesting one. You know, I'm an internet guy. I got to say, how is biking tours scalable? How am I going to make money off of biking tours? I feel like that's one that people get into because they're into biking and then they end up, you know, being professional babysitters. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I just think, I just think you're going after a high-end market who's willing to spend money on experiences. So if you do it right, you market it right, you sell the right customers, you can get really good money to say, okay, I'm going to go show five or six rich people the, the North Georgia mountains and I'm going to take care of all the accommodations and I'm going to take care of the, everything so they don't have to stress about anything. They throw the bike in the van and we go. Okay. A lot of uh, training, coaching and consulting, domestic pet training, athletic training. It's the long tail. It's the beautiful thing. You can, you can look at this list. 
with your Ahrefs subscription next to it and you can say, wow, I can rank first in 80% of these in, in a giant metropolitan area in, in a couple of weeks work. Real estate transactions, lots of niche carpentry. Why so many niche carpentry opportunities? This is the biggest opportunity because just nobody knows how to work with their hands anymore. Nobody has any skill. So if you can learn how to f- build a fence, build a patio, build a deck, build a fireplace, you know, sauna building. This is interesting. So many people in our marketplace, they make a good living online selling these sort of niche objects that go into people's homes. And so on the one hand, you're saying, particularly in the US, like the real estate market is just completely maxed out. And particularly right now at the time we're, we're speaking, in the town that I'm in, there's there's more people that want to buy homes than homes. And then people move into the homes and they want to do stuff to them because they got low interest rates, they got free cash flow, and they want to put in a sauna room. And a lot of people might sell objects that go in saunas, but you're saying, why not just install the whole damn thing? If you can install the whole thing, you can make really, 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 really good money because there's just nobody else out there who knows how to do it. There's a shortage of suppliers. I'm just so glad we're having this conversation because it is inspiring. It is in some ways easier to have ideas. Like the first time I ever got any money, I'll tell you a story about this. When I was young, the first business I ever did was me and my dad would go around and build decks every summer for people because my dad is a carpenter. And I have these great memories of like, I was the least skilled between my grandfather, my dad, and myself. So I would be the guy like laying under stuff, like holding up beams while they hammered away and stuff. You were carrying the boards from the truck. Basically. And so I sent some money home, 3,500 bucks. This was going to be like the sun, golden sun returns. And on the check, I wrote, let's build a deck. So I'm going to come home for two weeks and we're going to recapture the past. It's going to be nostalgic. I fly home from Asia or something show up, my parents have the deck finished already. And it's this beautiful plastic deck that is way better than anything we would have ever built. It's much more durable. you know. And I did not know about this whole niche of this sort of plastic fencing and plastic decks. And it's so much nicer than the wood stuff we used to make. A few weeks later, I'm sitting there on this wonderful deck. So I'm not doing any work. I'm drinking beer on the deck. And I'm like, it's unbelievable you can go out for $3,500 and get this deck built. And they're like, well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) They put that towards the deck. You get the point. And it's interesting you think like, man, could Kevin Graham, our SEO expert, rank himself for plastic deck installation or timeless decks? For sure. For sure he could. I was trying to get a closet built out of my house here when I moved into in Athens and I called California Closets and Inspired Closets. They're the only two people I could find anywhere online. Ranking number three in Google could be done on WordPress in about five minutes. But I called them up. They came in. They gave me quotes and it was going to cost like $3,500 with no drawers, no special anything, a bare bones closet. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I got on build.com, ordered $1,000 worth of easy track stuff. It came in and I got twice the closet drawers everywhere, cubby holes, corners on the edges. I did it myself in about 20 hours and I'm all in for a thousand bucks. And like if I calculated my hourly wage of what I had to pay them, I made a hundred dollars an hour doing my own closet. And I just watched a couple of YouTube videos. That's it. <laughs> what are you going to say to the TMBA listener who is in the college, graduating college, they're in the cubicle They're doing the nights and weekends hustle. And a lot of us dream about this life where we have more freedom and flexibility. 
And a lot of us dream about a life where we can get out of our hometown and go to a foreign country or all this kind of stuff that I think is tied in with this modern conception of a lifestyle business or of entrepreneurship. What do you have to say to that person with that dream? Saying, man, like doing a deck thing and doing all this stuff, it's not going to work out for me if what I really want to do is live abroad for a year somewhere, move the family down to Mexico for six months. Well, I think if you get serious about putting in some time for six months, learning how to do it and building a small base, you'll have the rest of your life to have other people doing the work. You'll be able to sit on a computer and go where you want to go and do what you want to do. You're no longer installing the decks. You're no longer putting in the closets. Six months. And that's when your money is made on the computer. Like with Storage Squad, Danny and I learned the difference between value and money. We were not getting the most value out of our time on the trucks doing the work. We had to step away from the business. The moment we left a computer, the whole business shut down. So is a TMBA listener really good on a computer? Yes, because that's what you're going to do for 10 hours a day, even in these sweaty businesses that nobody wants to start. (laughs) Nobody wants to start. That's fantastic. You know, it's the exact thing that Ian and I used to get on the early episodes and say, pick up the damn phone. Because one way to put it is like, people let the lifestyle get in the way of the business. And it should be a business lifestyle, not a lifestyle business. And that's the better strategy. If you had to choose between the two, I think so many people say, I'm going to start a lifestyle business. And the reality is, is that the people that are in a good position to start a lifestyle business, in other words, have a long list of personal rules of things you like, don't like, things you're willing to do, things you're not willing to do. If you have a lot of assets, whether that's personal assets, you have industry contacts, whatever, then you don't need this advice, right? Make the money first. Yeah. Make the money first and then make your life. Build your life after you got the money. Start a business lifestyle, not a lifestyle business. Yeah, that's my advice. I'm kind of generalizing here. I hope nobody gets really upset. And if you disagree with me, let me know. But I think your listeners have a sales problem. I think that they're really, really good at data. They're really, really good at processes. They're really, really good at systems, analyzing. But they're not good at looking up from the computer, looking at somebody in the eyes and making a sale, making a deal. In this business, in these service businesses, if you can do that, you can win. Like if you're not afraid to walk into somebody's office, shake their hand, get out from behind your computer, don't just rely on your Google AdWords to bring you business. If you can find your customers and go see them, go talk to them, gain trust with them, become a compelling seller, you can do any business you want and thrive, in my opinion. One of the things I can say, after having seen so many of the businesses of the listeners, I think people have the bravery. They have the hustle. Oftentimes, they don't have the legibility. Like I got to sit around for 10 minutes to figure out like how your service is going to benefit my business. Whereas like, I need a deck, you do decks. That's the sales pitch. In some ways, what these older school businesses and you know, put your personal touch on or whatever by bundling services or doing it in your own way, but they're so much clearer, so much more legible. It's obvious what your product is. And one of the other themes of the TMBA podcast is we often say like, productize your service, which is another way at its very core, you could just say, if you want to sell, it's got to be simple. And if it's complex, you're going to have a, a much more difficult time getting customers in the door. Yeah. And, and I would say another thing is you can wrap these businesses in more tech than you could ever imagine. My brother runs a lawn care company in Bloomington, Indiana, and he is leaps and bounds ahead of his competitors because he uses Google map measure function to measure a lawn and sends out a quote in five minutes. 
That's all he has to do. That's the only piece of tech that he uses that nobody else knows how to use. All the competitors are driving to the houses, looking at the lawns. You know, maybe a week later, you'll get a quote. My brother gets on his phone on Google Earth, pushes four buttons. He says, oh, that lawn is a half an acre. I'm going to do it for this price. Sends an instant quote with an online software as a service that he just pays 100 bucks a month for. That's awesome. Makes him look amazingly legit. And that's all it takes to be leaps and leaps and bounds ahead of his, all of his competition. My minimum viable differentiation for a service business is quote velocity. Because what, what you're going to see in these local services business is that even if your competitors were exposed to the technology that allows you to quote fast, emotionally, they're not willing to do it because one wrong quote could fuck up their lifestyle for the next few months. Whereas if you're thinking at scale, if you're thinking in terms of process, you realize quote velocity is, is huge in services. So if you can do instant quotes or within the hour or by the end of business for bigger stuff, one of the things I used to do in our service business is I used to work in margin for inaccurate quotes. In other words, quote velocity was so important that I would overquote everybody 10% because I knew I would fuck up a bunch of them. Absolutely. And all you got to do is pick up the phone. If you answer the phone every time, <laughs> you're ahead of 90% of the businesses. If you get a quote out in five minutes, customers are going to be like, oh my gosh, let's go. I don't care what it is. And yeah, you add you add an extra 50 bucks to every quote just to protect yourself and just in case something goes wrong and you end up making more money in the long run that way. Absolutely right. All right. So next step, pull up a list of Nick's businesses he loves. Get that HRF subscription fired up and start mixing and matching, combining these ideas. And even if you are a tech genius, this is a great place to diversify your cash too. Because a lot of these businesses are more long-standing, they're less volatile, and a good long-term investment. Nick, do you got any parting shots for the audience today? I would just be weary when you're reading all the media. Because the Instagram, the Twitter, the Navals, the everybody out there who is an entrepreneur that we all look up to. And I'm not saying they're not brilliant people and smart, way smarter than Nick is sitting here in Athens, Georgia. Sure. Listen to them, obviously, but look at it with a critical open mind because entrepreneurship is not what it seems. And if these influencers and these tech guys and these self-help books and all this media out there is pushing every entrepreneur in one direction, it might just be smart to look the other direction at the opportunities over there. Thanks to Nick for coming by the show. I love this stuff. Thought-provoking. Feels like old-school TMBA-style thinking. Check out the links, the show notes to everything we're talking about in today's episode at tropicalmba.com slash businesses I hate. Why not? I love that kind of idea. What businesses do you love? Do you hate? I mean, there's so many... I just love this kind of topic of getting clear on what your business philosophy is. And I think you know the cool thing about this is like, this is a business philosophy. It doesn't. It's not about what's true in the world or what's true for you necessarily. It's about how you think about business and how you want to approach it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the topic. Drop them in the comments. Drop us an email or a voicemail at tropicalmba.com slash voicemail. In those links at today's post, I will link to my favorite podcast of Nick's. He does a podcast called Sweaty Startup over at sweatystartup.com. He recently did an episode about real estate investing, which I thought, again, very thought-provoking. Do check that out. Today, of course, we've got a Dynamite Deal. Of course, Dynamite Deals is the segment where we go out on your behalf and use our buying power to cut a great deal on a product or service that can improve your business with a click. 
And you got seven days, if you're listening to this, to act on this one. I'll just simplify it. You know that trademark that you haven't protected or that you're messing around with the filing thing on yourself or you're doing research or whatever? We've talked about it on this show. You got to own your trademark. You got to own your IP, but it can be complicated. Today's deal is a soup to nuts trademark filing service for $1,225. That's almost a $1,000 discount off of today's partner's regular price. So you go to dynamitedeals.co, you click, I want to register my trademark. Our law partner, Sarah Kornblatt, who's been on the show from Destination Legal, understands internet businesses. She's going to check out your marks, your claims. She's going to do the research on your behalf, and she's going to get you sorted out for $1,225. That's a great deal. I love this deal. The reality is so many of us are procrastinating on registering our trademarks because it can be a pain in the butt or you're worrying about running up billable hours with lawyers, but that's why we got it all done for you on a flat fee, no billable hours, none of that stuff. And this even includes the USPTO filing fees, which is worth over 200 bucks. So 1225 bucks over at Dynamite Deals for one more week. Dynamitedeals.co, go get that trademark, sort it out, and sleep well at night. Hope you dug this app. Hope you dug that deal. And I hope you're having a wonderful Thursday. Again, all the show notes, links, everything posted for this episode will be over at tropicalmba.com slash businesses I hate. Love it. Let us know what you hate out there. (laughs) Have a great Thursday. We'll be back, of course, next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.